Protect yourself from job scams. That's our topic for this edition of the Public Record Podcast. I'm Managing Editor Ken Allen. If you're in the workforce, this is going to be a must-hear podcast for you, and one that you'll probably want to share with friends and colleagues. And if you're an employer, maybe you'll learn a few things that uh, maybe you shouldn't be doing uh, in terms of expecting employees to finance your business for you. Before we get started, I want to tell you that the Public Record Podcast is now being presented without commercial interruption, and we hope to extend this model going forward. But it does cost a lot of money to produce these podcasts, so if you want to support local journalism, I hope you'll consider making a donation. This podcast is produced by Ken Allen Voices, and you can visit our website at kenallenvoices.com. That's spelled A-L-A-N, kenallenvoices.com. And scroll to the bottom of the page to find the Public Record Podcast link that takes you to our online donation page. And we appreciate your support. This is a one-time donation. You won't be signing up for a monthly payment. So let's get into the worst-case scenario right up front. You go and look for a job on a popular, legitimate job board. You find a job you're interested in, and you apply. And it turns out that not only is that job not real, and you're never going to see a paycheck, but they want to steal your money. And right here in the Coachella Valley, we have an example of that. And our special guest for this episode, I'd like to introduce John Gordon, who was a victim of a scam on LinkedIn. And I'll let John tell the story in his own words. I was searching for a job for about four months. And I came across a job that was on LinkedIn that was for a purchasing director for a company out of New York and Germany. We went through the usual calls of resume. They checked me out. I checked them out. We did the due diligence on both sides. Everything seemed to check out with the uh, New York State Attorney General, with the IRS. And for the first three weeks of this position that they offered me, it was going to be probationary, which is very common today. They were going to make electronic payments to two of my credit cards, two different banks. And they did. Once these payments were cleared by both of these banks, I went ahead and purchased electronic equipment and sent it out via FedEx. Lo and behold, four or five days later, I come to find out after the credit card companies cleared these payments that they bounced. I immediately took action, called this employer in New York, and said, what's going on? She indicated to me that the bank account at a big regional bank back east had been hacked. They were going to make up these payments to me through another major bank who I had a relationship with. Of course, that never happened. I ended up filing reports with the Palm Springs Police, with the FBI, with the Department of Justice, with the Federal Trade Commission. Secret Service contacted me because they decided this was probably an international scam. 
and life could have moved on. Now, at any point in this process, you did all your due diligence. Did it ever occur to you that something's hinky about me having to use my own bank accounts to fund a transaction for somebody else? The key here was that they were going to give me a company credit card three weeks after the probation period. And it really wasn't bothering me because they were making electronic payments to both of these cards. And once they cleared, we weren't using my money, we were using their money. And how much money are we talking about? They bounced payments to me in excess of $60,000. Wow. Knowing what you know now, when should you have said, oh, stop, this is, something's hinky here, abort, go on to the next job opportunity? Well, there's a couple of things. The, the, one of the most important things here, which I have pointed out to everyone, including the banks and including my other banks, is there is a significant loophole in electronic payments to credit cards. The problem is the credit card companies, the banks, clear these automatically. And in fact, the payments are really not cleared as mm -hmm. a check would clear overnight with the Fed. Mm -hmm. And subsequently, as what happened with me, Three or four days later, the payments start to bounce if there's a problem. Mm. Now, you were also, uh, and I think you don't mind sharing this, you were also in kind of a, a mental state of, uh, I don't want to say desperation, but very uh, motivated, shall we say, to find a job. Because you've been looking for a while. Is that right? Yeah, I, I, I was. You know, I've been an entrepreneur, as you know, for 40 years, successful. Um, I had recently remarried. Uh, and really, you know, I was looking to uh, stabilize and, you know, get back into, uh, you know, a corporate job, mm. uh, which is not easy at, at my age. Mm -hmm. You know, I probably should have stayed in corporate life. I would have been a retired CEO with a golden parachute someplace, but, mm. you know. And a country uh, club membership somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, the motivation was I really wanted to get back and work. I mean, I'm, I'm very young at heart, uh, even though I'm a senior. And, um, you know, I love working. Was there a second choice as you were looking on LinkedIn? Was this the only one out there? No, there, there were other uh, choices. In fact, there were uh, a couple of very good positions that were uh, posted um, here in the Coachella Valley. One specifically with a very well-known bank who sent me a very nice letter saying that I was overqualified for the position, mm -hmm. which was really a nice way of saying to a senior, you're too old, we don't want to hire you, mm -hmm. because they can't say these things because of age discrimination. Of course, yeah. Well, there you have it. Even when you think you've done everything right, uh, you can end up in a very, very bad situation. And I understand that all of these job boards are constantly pulling down uh, jobs that are either scams or jobs that don't exist. Let's talk about these ghost jobs for a moment. There are jobs that companies post for various reasons that are never going to be filled. Probably the most common example of this is when a company has 
filled a job internally or through the back door of networking, and they're just going through the motions of posting a job to appease government regulators. Uh, I myself have been given jobs under these circumstances. I found a job through my networking contacts. They said, you can probably start in about 30 days. We have to wait to go through the motions of posting the job to meet the regulatory requirements. So a lot of these jobs you see online uh, are jobs that are never going to be filled. Other companies just post jobs to give investors the illusion that there's momentum and growth going on in the company, and it gives workers the illusion that help is on the way. Sometimes companies just post ghost jobs because they have a government contract that's out for bid, and if they win the bid, they're going to have to fill those jobs quickly. Other companies post fake jobs or ghost jobs to do free salary surveys. Now, a lot of states have outlawed asking for salary history, but in states where that's still allowed, it's much cheaper for a company to waste the time of desperate job seekers to tell your salary history than to go hire an expensive research firm that will cost, you know, $10,000 to $100,000 to do a proper salary survey. Now, even when you find legitimate jobs posted online, there are some financial pitfalls that you should watch out for. Does the company require you to wear some sort of uniform or costume? Find out what the annual costs are and if they expect you to pay for it. They should have a formal disclosure sheet that you sign. If the hiring manager is rather vague, take this as a red flag. Does the company require you to bring your own tech or tools? Will you have to supply your own smartphone or computer? Never allow your employer to install monitoring software on your privately owned devices. If they want to monitor use, then they need to provide the device at their own expense. And if you're expected to use your own equipment, how will the company compensate you for it? Be particularly wary of using your personal vehicle for the benefit of a business that you're just a W-2 employee for. Now, the exceptions to this caveat are if you are a stockholder in the company with significant shares, not just a handful of shares that you get when you join a new startup, but a significant number of shares that may be worth real money someday, or if you're a partner in the firm, such as an advertising agency or accounting firm or law firm, then it might make sense for you to subsidize your company. But if you're just a plain old W-2 employee, you shouldn't be spending your money to finance the business operations of your employer. Because you're probably an at-will employee and can be fired for any reason, including no reason at all, at any time. If you are asked to use your personal automobile for business, I want you to think long and hard about this and have a conversation with your insurance agent. Using your private car for business purposes exposes you to substantially higher insurance premiums. And don't think, well, I just won't tell my insurance company that I'm using my car for business. If you don't tell them the truth when you're in an accident and you make a claim and they discover you were using your car for business and you were using it on a regular basis for business, they now have a reason to deny your claim.
And that could be financially devastating. That's why you carry insurance. Now, let's say you have an accident while driving for business. Now, we all like to think that we'll never have an accident, but they do happen. And you could have an accident with an uninsured driver. And again, your insurance company could deny covering your car and medical expenses if you've given them false information. And it's a safe bet that your employer won't offer to pay any of your deductibles. And if you're found at fault for the accident, your employer's not going to pay the premium surcharges that you're going to be paying for the next five years. (laughs) You could be long gone from that employer and still paying for that accident. One more important scam I want you to be aware of when it comes to your personal automobile. Make sure that when you get your offer letter, that it states the address of where you'll be reporting to work, the actual physical address, and get this in writing. You must insist on this or pass on the job offer. So let's say your daily commute is 30 miles round trip and 60 minutes. The IRS expects you to eat the cost of your daily commute. And now your employer asks you to work at another office two days a week that's 60 miles away and another hour drive. You are entitled to be compensated for the extra mileage, and I think the current rate is about 60 cents a mile, and the extra commute time must be considered part of your paid work time. Be sure this understanding is clear and agreeable to your prospective employer, or you should pass on the job offer, because we are talking about thousands and thousands of dollars to double your commute time. It also increases your risk for an accident, where again your employer is not going to pay your deductibles or premium surcharges. Meanwhile, having you cover another office probably represents a substantial cost savings to that employer because they don't have to hire another person to cover the office. Expense reports. If your job is going to require any out-of-pocket expenses on a regular basis, traveling to a job site, paying parking fees, entertaining clients at lunch, These are the employer's expense. And then once you are incurring these expenses, keep those receipts and turn in your expense reports on time each month to keep up to date. On-call employment situations. To maintain your mental health, you really want to be very wary of jobs that require you be on-call day and night, 24-7-365. What happens if you buy, let's say, expensive sporting tickets or theater tickets and your employer calls you into work? Do you think your employer will reimburse you for the expense? (laughs) Not a chance. Or let's say you've paid for reservations for an expensive trip and now your employer expects you to cancel your plans again at your expense. If you work in a field where you're expected to be on call, be sure there are very clear rules of engagement and that those rules make financial sense to you. Another common abuse of on-call employment is in the service industry area, where a restaurant owner or hotel banquet manager just wants you to work for two hours in the middle of the day. You need to do the math to be sure you're not losing money in that transaction. Let's say you're making minimum wage, and your employer isn't going to pay for your commute to and from the job. So you're being paid for two hours at, let's say, $15 an hour. That's $30. Income taxes will reduce that to about $20. And if it costs you $5 round trip to take the bus, so now you're down to $10. 
<laughs> Meanwhile, you're working from 11 to 1, right in the middle of the prime working day, which means you can't take other full-day part-time work to earn a decent living. If you do want to find part-time work, I suggest you adopt a policy of four to six-hour work minimums. And if they can't provide those minimums, you'll have to pass. Commissioned sales jobs. There are two kinds of commissioned sales jobs. One is where the employer pays you a draw against commission, and the other one is commission only. Sales jobs are a risky business. You're at the mercy of the product you're selling and the ups and downs of the economic cycles. If you're getting a salary or draw on commission, you become a W-2 employee. So now your employer can dictate your working hours and require you to do work that interferes with productive sales time, like unnecessary sales meetings. Under no circumstances should you be asked to entertain clients at your expense. All of those expenses, even if you're a contract employee, should be something that you can charge the business for separately. Now, you won't be giving them an expense report as a contract employee, but since you're invoicing them on a perhaps a retainer basis, you can add additional expenses like travel expenses and other things that are negotiated in your contract separately. Now, let me share a common scam that has been reported to me that occurs quite often in the real estate industry. Now, there are variations of this theme, but the basic scam works this way. A licensed real estate agent is hired to represent the company for a new development of residential houses, and he's sitting in a model home all day long greeting customers. This agent is being paid a drawn commission that is supposed to be paid back once he earns commissions on the sale. So the agent sits in the model homes and shows people around. So after a short time, he sold enough homes to cover his draw and earn a hefty bonus on his commissions. So what happens now is the developer fires the sales agent just before the commissions become due. And the contract says that if he's not an employee at that time, he doesn't get his commissions. He also has to pay back the draw and commissions. So not only is out a $50,000 commission, he now owes the developer $10,000. Well, the fact is, because he was a W-2 employee, he's entitled to minimum wage. So the developers never go back and collect that drawn commission. Nevertheless, they just stole $40,000 of his commission from him. And apparently this happens all the time. Sometimes these folks work with no drawn commission. Now, how they get away with that, I don't know. So what's the moral to this story? I guess if I were a real estate agent in this situation, before I would sign such a contract, I would take it to a labor law attorney and have them look it over. So to sort of wrap up the main takeaway from this episode, you should never be paying anything out of your own pocket for the benefit of your employer unless you have a significant stake in the business. And as for ghost jobs, jobs where you think they might be fake postings, Call the HR department and ask what the timeline is for filling that job posting. If you can't get a hold of the recruiter within a reasonable time, or they can't give you a straight answer, then it's a pretty safe bet. It's a fake job. And if you suspect a job is a fake posting, please report it to the job board. The legitimate ones will take action and take those listings down.
Not only is that a significant benefit to other job seekers in your position, it also sends a strong message to posters of fake jobs that this practice is not acceptable and they're not going to get away with it. And let me leave you with this one final recommendation. Your best bet for finding your next career move is through the back door of career networking. Don't waste too much time looking for jobs online and filling out endless applications over and over again. The success rate of that method is only a couple percentage points, whereas networking has a success rate in the 80 percentile range. The Public Record Podcast is a public service of The Public Record, the Coachella Valley's Business News Weekly, and produced by Ken Allen Voices. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit Ken Allen, that's A-L-A-N, Voices.com, and scroll down to the bottom of the page. I hope you'll share this episode with your friends and click the subscribe button with your favorite podcast host. I'm managing editor Ken Allen reminding you to make someone's day with something nice to say. Music